Daniel chapter 2, if you open your Bibles there, and we'll be looking at verses 19 to 23. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture in the aftermath of last week, where Daniel goes to his three companions, and he asks them to pray that God will enable him to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. This is what we read, then the mystery. Now, I want to point out how many times in this chapter And the reason why I want to point this out is because this is the only chapter where something like this happens. This word mystery occurs. It occurs there in verse 18. You'll notice the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Then it occurs in the opening of verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed. It occurs again down in verse 27. And we read, as for the mystery, it occurs in verse 28, the God of heaven who reveals mysteries. It occurs again in verse 29, he who reveals mysteries. It occurs in verse 30, for this mystery has not been revealed for any wisdom residing in me. And then again in verse 47, that the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. This is obviously an important concept to this context, this idea of mystery, which we're going to speak about in just a few moments. But I want you to notice, then the mystery, verse 19, was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and to the study of it to follow in just a few moments. For those of you who are visiting today, we're on a journey straight through this very powerful and prophetic book. You've joined us in our seventh study as we come to chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. Before we begin our journey today, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the word and for those here to partake of it. We pray your blessing on this hour. We pray that you would personally work in our minds and hearts as we journey together through this text. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a minister who was weaving in and out of traffic as if he were drunk, and he was spotted by a police officer who pulled him over, and rightly so. The officer said, Preacher, he said, you're weaving in and out of traffic as if you're drunk. The preacher said, oh, I would never do that. I would never drink and drive. The officer spotted a brown bag that was lying in the front seat of his car, so he said, let me see that bag. So the minister handed the bag to the officer, and the officer put the bag to his nose, and he said to the minister, this is wine. And the minister looked at the police officer and said, It is? Well, praise God, he's done it again. (laughs) He's turned that water into wine again. Lying is not the mark of spirituality. It's the mark of a fraud. It's a terrible thing to be known as one who distorts reality. In fact, one man I greatly respect said, If a man's word is no good, the man is no good. But I wonder how many of us are guilty sometimes of lying to the Lord. One of the things that we typically do when we pray and when we end a prayer request is say, and Lord, if you'll answer this request, we'll thank you and praise you. 
If you'll answer this prayer, then we will give all the credit to you and we will praise you. But what I wonder is how many of us actually follow through with what we promise to do? I wonder how many of us actually, when God does answer the prayer, go right back to the Lord and go right to him and thank him and praise him for the answer to the prayer. Now, Daniel was the kind of man who did that. And God's people need to learn an important lesson from Daniel. And that is when they are faced with an insurmountable problem and seemingly impossible situations, they need to learn to pray. As we saw last time, Daniel was in a life-death crisis. This was not just a problem that was some little simple solution problem. This was a problem in which he literally could die. And the thing we find Daniel doing in those moments is going to the Lord in prayer. But when God answered the prayer, we find Daniel going back to God and praising him. And that's certainly a lesson we need to learn. Go to God in prayer in times of trouble and crisis. But when God answers the prayer, go back to God and praise him. There's an interesting story that shows up in the Gospel of Luke. The Lord Jesus Christ heals ten leprous men who cry out to him for healing. They're asking him for something. They want him to heal them, and he does. Only one of the ten goes back and says, thank you. As one writer said, a thankless heart is a graceless heart. There's not much prayer in this world when it comes to people who pray, and there's certainly much less thanksgiving and praise in this world when God answers prayers of people who do pray. Now, there's no question that one of the things that made Daniel and his friends so special was the fact that he was known as a man of prayer. He was a very disciplined man who would go to the Lord and pray on a regular basis, on a daily basis. In fact, this theme will show up in the book of Daniel many times. In fact, it's that reality that will eventually get him thrown into the lion's den. When an edict is issued by the king that you can only make requests of the king, Daniel still continues to pray, and it's that which leads him to getting thrown into the den of lions. One of the things that Daniel does do in his prayers is he always praises God. One of the things we find Daniel doing is going back to the Lord and giving thanks and praise to God when God answers the prayer. God was not just giving things to Daniel, and Daniel just thought that was nice, but when Daniel received things from God, he actually went to God and gave worship and praise back to God. And if ever there is a text that surely teaches us that, it is the one that is before us this day. That is why some call this passage Daniel's Psalm. And the main point of this text is this. Daniel prays to God and praises God for the great answer to prayer in revealing Nebuchadnezzar's dream and interpretation of the dream to him. Now, as we said when we introduced this book of Daniel, he was a man of purpose. He would purpose to do what was right no matter what anybody else was doing. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who prayed regularly. He was a man of prophecy. He could unravel the scriptures as very few could do. And he was also a man of praise. And I want to take the time to carefully understand this section because this, in my opinion, is a section that's so critical to the rest of the book and what God is going to do with Daniel. The fact that Daniel prayed and then when he got answers, he goes back to God and praises God and thanks God for those answers is a critical key to God continuing to answer prayers as they will be needed in the future. Now, as we come to verse 19, you'll notice it begins with this word then, which means there's no time break from the time that the 
prayer is made of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about this matter that he and Daniel were praying about, namely, what was Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and we need to know the interpretation of the dream. So this immediately connects us with verses 17 and 18, in which God is going to reveal a mystery. Now, I want to talk about that because as we pointed out in our scripture reading, this word is used so many times in this chapter in the book of Daniel. The idea of a mystery is not something, of course, that's unknown to God. It's something unknown to people. God knows all things, so there are no mysteries when it comes to God. But this has given me a little further insight as to what a biblical mystery is. A biblical mystery is something in which there's something that's known, but the full interpretation of it is not known. For example, Nebuchadnezzar knew what the dream was. He just didn't know what the dream meant. So when the mystery was unfolded to Daniel, not only did Daniel get the information about what the dream actually was, but he got the full interpretation of what the dream actually meant. Paul uses the same idea in Ephesians when he talks about this mystery that he was the apostle set aside to reveal in the grace age, the dispensation of the age of grace, in which Jews and Gentiles would be brought into one body. Now, it's always been revealed in Scripture that there would be Gentiles that ultimately would exist some point in time in the kingdom with Israel. For example, if you read the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, there's no question that you'll have Egypt and you'll have Assyria and you'll have the Arabs that will be worshiping one day with the Jewish people. So it's certain that there are going to be Gentile nations involved in worship in the kingdom. However, the mystery that Paul revealed in Ephesians was now these two, by believing in Christ, could be one body, the body of Christ. Paul said, that was not known previously. I was set aside as an apostle to reveal that mystery. Now, Daniel had gone to his three friends when faced with a crisis of whether or not they would live or die if nobody revealed this vision to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel went to his three friends and he solicited their prayers and God unlocked the mystery of the prayer and the interpretation of the prayer to Daniel, God answered the prayer. Now, we don't know exactly how long a time gap went between the answer and the prayer, but it would seem to me, in light of that word then, that begins verse 19, it was close proximity to the time that they were praying. In other words, God revealed this dream to Daniel and the interpretation of that dream to Daniel that very night that they prayed. Now, during Daniel's day, God would reveal things through visions and dreams. Sometimes those visions and dreams could come at night, and sometimes they could come at the day. This obviously was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and a night vision, a night dream, is not a normal dream like you and I have, which we're going to talk extensively about, Lord willing, next Sunday. But this was a revelation of God, and this must have been a thrilling thing for Daniel to realize that God had answered the prayer specifically. He had his three friends and himself praying that God would reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him. God did that. This was a thrilling moment. It's a thrilling moment when God moves and answers any of our prayers instantly. Because typically God uses a period of time before the answer. You make the request, and usually it isn't the next instant that the prayer is answered. That's not how it typically works. It obviously did at this point. And the first thing that Daniel did when God answered his prayer was he took the time to offer specific praise to God. Now, this is a very rare thing, and that's why it's brought out. You'll notice in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This is prompt praise. Then God did this, then Daniel did this. Then God answered the prayer, then Daniel offered the praise to God. 
And this is so rare that it shows up here in Scripture. When God revealed this to Daniel, the first thing he wanted to do was offer praise to God. This is prompt praise. There's only one praise that I know of that's quicker than this. And that was a prayer that Jesus made in the Gospel of John in which he praised God and thanked God before he prayed. He said, I'm thanking you and praising you that you already hear me and I know you're going to answer this. I mean, this is only second to that. What is interesting is you have life-death crisis in view where Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all of the wise men. And the thing that I find Daniel not doing is not running to the king, which you would have thought he would have done. I've got the answer. I can run to the king. We can settle this issue right now. But before he did that, before he ran to the king, he took time to praise God. You would think he would have gone to the king to find him, but Daniel said, first I want to go to the sovereign king. Before I face Nebuchadnezzar, the earthly king, I want to go and bow before Almighty God, the heavenly king of the universe. Now the end of verse 19 says, Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And that verb bless is a Hebrew verb that carries with it the idea of actually you kneel down before God in order to offer reverent praise to him. In other words, Daniel is so moved by the fact that God has answered this prayer that he actually very reverently, as I understand the language, kneels down before the Lord. There are some people that have such a low concept of worship. They don't care what they do or say, and they'll call it worship. Well, this is true worship. This is the kind of prayer that is a form of worship because it shows that one is reverently bowed before the Lord, thanking God and praising God for some very specific things. I had an unusual opportunity this past week. Some man asked me, what kind of worship do you have at church? I said, we have worship that reverences God at church. And I said, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between what's classified as worship and worship that reverences God. I said, worship that reverences God is focused on the word of God. And there's prayer and there's a reading of scripture and there's the singing of hymns that say things that are true, wonderful, praiseworthy things about God. I said, that's the kind of worship we have. Furthermore, I want you to notice that Daniel identifies this God as the God of heaven. Literally, God of heavens. And this shows the high and holy and true perspective that he has of God. There are only three books in the Old Testament where this name of God is used pertaining to God, God of heavens. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. There's one New Testament book that uses this phrase, God of heavens. It's the book of Revelation. Now, all three books have specific connection to the same prophecies in view about Israel. All three books have the same prophecies concerning Israel and her sin. And all of those books have in view Israel being scattered among Gentile nations because of her sin. So when Daniel addresses God as the God of heavens... He's meaning by using this title that God is the one who controls all earthly powers, even those that are dominating his people on earth. The gods invented by men, there is only one true God in the heaven, and Daniel is on his knees before that God. He's praising God. He's worshiping this true God of the Bible. This is a masterpiece of praise. This is a masterpiece of worship and of reverence to the Lord. Thomas Robinson an old scholar of the 1800s said, when Daniel chose to use this term, God of heaven, God of heavens, he said, first of all, that name indicates God's unity because it's God Elohim, the plural name, plural noun for God. And he says it talks about the unity of God, the trinity of God. Then it talks about the supremacy because he has heavenly power. He's the God of heavens. It talks about God's majesty because his throne is in heaven. 
And he said it talks about his holiness because heaven is a holy place. He said all of that is revealed just by him using the name God of heaven. Now, verse 20 restates the name of God. And Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Now, what we're going to see is Daniel says there are two reasons why God should be praised forever and ever. Two reasons why the God of the heavens should be praised always. Reason number one, because of what he's capable of doing. Notice verses 20 to 22. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for... Now let me explain reason number one, why he should be blessed forever and ever. Wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Now there are eight capabilities that he lists here that are sovereign capabilities that only God has. Capability number one, God is the one who has wisdom and power. God is the one who has wisdom and power. In the Bible, God is identified as the only wise God. He's the only one who has a complete level of wisdom and knowledge in every possible arena. Now that noun wisdom is one that means to be able to think through decisions to think through things accurately and make decisions in view of things. God's wisdom is revealed in his providence, in his creation, in salvation, of course, in Jesus Christ. The idea of wisdom in salvation is seen as how can God be just and justify people who are sinful? And his solution to that, in thinking through that, is the only way I can be just to justify people would be if one of the members of the Trinity were to go there and take the sin of man on him and then I impute to that one the sin of humanity, then when they believe on him, I can give to those people the righteousness of that one of us who went there. Now that's the wisdom of God. That's the kind of wisdom that God has to be able to unravel a problem like that. When he says he has power, it speaks of an ability to affect the decision. Not only can he think through things at a very intelligent level that's far beyond humanity. But he has the ability and the power to affect what he decides to do. As Dr. Wolverd said, God not only has wisdom and knowledge, but the power to do what he will do with that wisdom and knowledge. Now that's Daniel's God. Daniel's God was in control. And he was the one who was controlling the whole universe. He had all wisdom and power, not some fatalist from Babylon. Now it's one thing to have a dimension of wisdom, but it's another thing to have the power and ability to make it come to fruition what the wisdom has designed. For example, we just harvested some hay. I have a neighbor who bought an incredible machine that is able to go out into a field and pick up and stack bales of hay. I'm not just talking about throwing them up on a trailer. This thing picks up two bales of hay, bumps them back, and stacks them right up. And it can put up to 160-plus bales of hay on this haystacker, is what they call it. It's an amazing machine. Now, I was thinking about that. It would be one thing just to think that up. To think of how in the world are you going to have a machine that you can drive up, it'll pick up a bale of hay, and you can think that out maybe. We can pick up the bale of hay, but then we're going to throw this up here and actually get a process whereby it's going to stack the bales of hay automatically. Now you can think about that, think about the need of it, but think about having the ability to design that and make that. And somebody did. And that's tremendous wisdom and that skill in that arena. What Daniel is saying here is God has this in every arena. He has all wisdom and power. 
He has the wisdom and power to understand everything and the power to execute anything he decides to execute. And when you pray, you remember that. You're praying to a God who has all wisdom and power. So when you find yourself in a difficult situation or circumstance, you bow your knee to this God who has all wisdom to be able to work in your particular situation and power and circumstance, and he has the power to execute to get you out of the dilemma. That's what Daniel's praising God for. Now, the second capability is God is the one who changes the times and the epics. Verse 21, God controls the times and the seasons, the epics. Now, when we use the word epic or seasons, we're not referring to seasons of years like spring and summer and fall and winter. He's talking here about events in history. God's the one who controls historical events directly, either in what he does or indirectly in what he permits. As Dr. Warren Wearsby said, the God of heaven is also the God of history. Now, I want you to notice how Daniel's prayer of praise completely is emphasizing the sovereignty of God. The dream that you're going to see revealed, Lord willing, next Sunday is a dream of all the Gentile powers that God's going to permit to dominate Israel. Daniel is going to unravel that for Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome and then a future revival of the Roman Empire that's all going to be revealed in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And what Daniel is praising God for is he controls all those powers. He controls Babylon, he controls Medo-Persia, he controls Greece, and he controls Rome, and ultimately the revival of the Roman Empire. He's the one who permits them to rule at a specific time in history. He's the one who controls, as the text says, times and epics. Now there's no question without doubt, that the greatest power on earth, perhaps for the last 100 years, certainly for the last 70 years, has been the United States of America. And when you listen to the rhetoric as to why this country has been so great, it becomes very intriguing. Some have said the reason for our greatness is the Industrial Revolution that began in the early 1900s, that Americans were so ingenious that they invented all these kind of crafty things. That's what gave us our power. Others have stressed it is our military. It's the military and the technology we have, and certainly we have brilliant technology with our military, to be able to defend the country and fight amazing wars. There's no question that's also part of the process. Certainly, theologically, we would know that our support of Israel ever since the late 30s has been a critical part in the early 40s of God blessing this country because God has promised, I'll bless those that bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why the United States of America has been so blessed in this world to be such a power right now is because of the God who controls the times and epics. And he's allowed this country to become that kind of power. It's God who has done that. And when this nation has finished its responsibilities for being that kind of power. God can allow this power to go down and bring up another power, which he ultimately will do, and we know he will do, certainly during the tribulation period. But it's God who should be praised. And that's why on this day, this 4th of July holiday weekend, we were singing these praise songs about God. Which brings us to the third capability. God is the one who removes and establishes kings. He says in verse 21, he removes kings and establishes kings. Now the truth is, this is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is actually all about. God is revealing 
and will reveal through Daniel that he is controlling all leaders of all nations and he's going to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to let you reign for a while, then I'm taking you out and I'm bringing somebody else in, then I'm taking him out, I'm going to bring somebody else in. God's revealing that I control the destiny of a nation, I control who I permit to lead a nation. And this is one of the ways that God controls history, he controls leaders in history. Now let me give you, and this isn't in your notes, but if you want to write them, I'll give you references for all but one of them, five responsibilities we have in view of the fact that God removes and establishes kings. Five responsibilities we have toward leadership, political leadership. Number one, we have the responsibility to respect it. 1 Peter 2.17, respect leadership. Secondly, we have the responsibility to obey it, Titus 3.1. We have the responsibility to obey political leadership, Titus 3.1. Thirdly, we have the responsibility to support political leadership, Romans 13.7. Fourthly, we have the responsibility to pray for political leadership, 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2. Respect it, 1 Peter 2.17. Obey it, Titus 3.1. Support it, Romans 13, 7. Pray for it, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. There's one-fifth privilege we have in the United States, and that is to vote for it. Because God uses people, his people, to go and elect officials, and we have the wonderful privilege and responsibility in the United States to go and vote so that we can be part of what God is going to do. But make no mistake about it, it is God who removes and establishes leaders in any dispensation of time. Now the fourth capability, God is the one who gives wisdom to wise men. That's what verse 21 says. Now we know from a careful study of the Bible that God gives wisdom to the one who fears the Lord. So if one does not fear the Lord, he will not ever tap into the wisdom of God. Now what I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, is what Daniel says here in his prayer he says here that he gives wisdom to wise men. What that tells us is God does things for some people that he does not do for other people. In other words, if a person is classified by God as wise, God grants him wisdom. If one is not classified as wise, God does not grant that person wisdom. God permits certain people to gain knowledge, but not every person will be granted the wisdom and knowledge of God. Now that goes against the grain of the world in which we live, which says equal rights for everybody. The fact of the matter is God doesn't operate like that. When it comes to understanding things about him, he says, I require, if you're going to know things about me, that you be spiritually minded. I'll do certain things for people who love me and who live for me and who are wise and according to my word. I'll let them understand more things than I'll let others who aren't. And that's exactly what Daniel's saying here. He gives wisdom to the wise. The fifth capability is God is the one who gives knowledge to men of understanding. Again, he classifies. Knowledge goes to men of understanding. The ability to know things about God is a grant from God. He's the one who gives to men a knowledge that enables them to understand things about him. The sixth capability is God is the one who reveals profound and hidden things. Verse 22, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. These are words in Hebrew that describe God revealing things that are inaccessible or unsearchable. In other words, he's talking about things you can't go to a library and research. Now there's a lot of factual data that you can get in a library. You can learn a lot of facts of history, you can learn a lot of factual data about a lot of subjects that you can research, but not when it comes to knowing God and not when it comes to knowledge about God. God says, I have the ability 
to disclose deep information to certain people. And I'll do it to those who have understanding. And ladies and gentlemen, what this teaches us is you cannot grasp the deep things of God like you can some college course. You can't just say, I'm going to sign up for this course, and the end result is, I'll be smart when it comes to me knowing God. You see, the fact of the matter is, spiritual things are only accessible to spiritual people. So there must not only be information, but there must be application. And as those two things are working in the hearts and minds of the people, God opens up the door for more revelation and more information. Which brings us to the seventh capability. God is the one who knows what is in darkness. Verse 22 says he knows what is in the darkness and darkness does not hide anything from God. Just because Nebuchadnezzar went to sleep at night and had a dream that came from God did not mean God didn't know what the dream was or couldn't give the interpretation to the dream. There are things that surround us that can leave us in the dark, but this is not true with God. You may be in a dark time right now. You may not understand what in the world is happening to you right now. Things may be caving in on you. Your world seems dark and bleak. You can know this. God is with you. He sees it. He knows it. He has power in your situation. He has wisdom in your situation. Go to him. Pray. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for help. Ask him to open up your mind and heart to understand what's going on. And by the way, this also teaches us that God sees all and knows all. God can and will expose dark things. There's nobody that's sneaking around doing things in the dark that are getting beyond the eye of God. God knows all and sees all, and Daniel's praising God for that. The eighth capability is God is the one who has light can give light. That's what he says in verse 22. And the light dwells with him. All things are clear to God. He is the one who sees things clearly and he can reveal all things. Now look at what Daniel's doing. He's on his knees before God, praising God for things that are wonderful about God, wonderful and true about the Lord. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls, but that is one spectacular place to see in the genius of the creation of God. And Dr. Ironside said one time he and his wife were at Niagara Falls. And if you've ever been there, you'll notice that you stand on this sidewalk and you're just hearing this thunderous roar of this water that's going over this falls and dropping all those feet to the bottom. And then if you look down in the bottom where that water is hitting, there's this mist. It's almost a pretty mist. In fact, if you take a ride on a boat down there, you have to put on one of those raincoats so that you don't get drenched. But there's a little mist down there. It's like the thunderous roar of the water hits down there and then this little mist rises up. Ironside said, that's what I see happening in this passage. Here's the thunderous roar of Almighty God in heaven. He has all wisdom and knowledge and power and might. He has all strength. He has all understanding. And Daniel's on his knees and he's offering this mist back up to the Lord. He's like praising God for the thunderous power that he has as being the God of heaven. And it thrills God to see his people admitting the realities that are so true and wonderful about him. And that's what Daniel did right here. The second reason that he praises God is because of what God personally did for Daniel. Verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. After Daniel went through this list of things for which he praised the Lord, and he praises God for his greatness and power, he takes the time to thank God for what he had personally done for him. Well, I want you to notice that Daniel changes the noun God from God of heavens to God of my fathers. And this is a title that Daniel 
had and knew of God that certainly had an historical connection to the nation Israel. Daniel is praising God for these great things that God had done and also for his personal work in Daniel's life. This is something that other faithful people had done in the history of Israel. David did that. Solomon did that. And perhaps Daniel even had seen that in his own family. Daniel was from a very strong family that taught him the righteous ways of God from an early age. And it's very possible that Daniel grew up with this great perspective of the Lord. And if you pray to him and he answers your prayer, you go back to God and thank him. And that's what Daniel was doing. God would spare Israel through the revealing of this dream. You see, what this dream would ultimately say to the nation Israel is God's not done with you yet. He still has a plan. He's still keeping track of you. He's still protecting you. You're not going to be annihilated. And Daniel, by using the title God of my fathers, is linking all of this dream business of Nebuchadnezzar to the nation Israel. And there are four specific personal actions that God took in behalf of Daniel for which he praised the Lord. First of all, God gave Daniel wisdom. Those are the same words that show up in verse 20, the wisdom and power combination. What this means is Daniel says, God, you gave me a very special ability in this context, the kind of wisdom that only you have, that only he has, God. You gave me that wisdom so that I can unravel this dream. Secondly, Daniel was praising God because God gave him power. God had imparted to him a supernatural power that would enable him as a human being to unravel this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And may I just suggest to all of us this day that we will never be more powerful, more wise, more fulfilled until we're in a right, reverent relationship with God. It was in that moment where Daniel experienced this great power of God. The third personal action that God took in behalf of Daniel is God answered the prayer of Daniel and his friends. I love what Daniel does in verse 23. I want you to carefully notice the pronouns we and us. Daniel believed that it wasn't just his own prayers that moved God, but he got this foursome together. These young men got together and prayed, and there was tremendous power in that prayer, and God answered that prayer, and he knew that it was also the prayer of his other three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that God answered, that enabled this prayer to be answered as they united together. There's great power in this when God's people unite together to pray. We have prayer meeting here on Wednesday night. We meet at 6.45 to pray. We pray from about 6.45 to just about 7.30. And that time is spent, for the most part, in prayer. Since January, as near as I can determine, we have praised God for 265 items. See, we have a time where we also praise the Lord for answers. And we go back in our prayer and we thank him for answers that we've seen. As near as I can determine in tracking all of this, we have praised God for over 265 answers since January. Now that's God's people uniting together to pray in the church. See, there's tremendous power in that. When we get people praying for us, when we get people praying for things, God is able to do great things. He's able to do powerful things. Time and time again, Paul asked people to pray for him. It's no wonder that he became such a powerful man of God because he had so many people in so many churches praying for him. Which brings us to the fourth personal action. God revealed to Daniel 
the king's dream and the interpretation of the dream. Now I want you to notice the chronology of the praise of Daniel. First, there was great prayer to God that offered him praise for who God was and for what God had done. And now there's praise to God for the information he gave concerning the king's dream. It was Asaph, the chief musician under David's reign, who said in Psalm 50, verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. That is the story right here of Daniel. And may it be the story of us. I want to leave you with three applications from this text today. First of all, God will do wonderful things with those and for those who are faithful to him. Your faithfulness to the Lord, when nobody else sees it and knows about it, is something that God keeps track of. And God will do wonderful things for and with those who are faithful to him. He will allow people who are faithful to him to understand deep things of the Lord. He will answer prayers. He will do wonderful, powerful things in opening doors for those who are faithful to him. That's what he did for Daniel and his three friends. Secondly, God has all power necessary to work in any time of trouble or trial. And we need to go to him in prayer. We need to learn this lesson, ladies and gentlemen, because there will be dark times in all of our lives. We can pray to a powerful God who has all wisdom and all power. He not only can think through the situation that we're in, but he has the power to affect the outcome of that situation that we're in. He has wisdom and power. We need to remember that when we find ourselves in times of trouble and trial. And finally, when God answers prayer, we need to get back to him to say thank you. We need to go back to him and praise him because God is a God who does great things for those who honor him. May we pray. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the key to being in a right relationship with God is found only in him. And right now where you sit, you can resolve that issue by praying something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I thank you that Christ died for me. And right now I invite you into my life to be my Savior. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for prayer that you enable us to pray that could move you to answer prayer. That's a staggering thought, that the God of heavens would listen to the prayers of feeble people like us and then move to answer. Oh, how we thank you for the privilege of prayer. May we never take it for granted. And we want to confess there have been times in our own lives where we've been negligent of doing just what Daniel did coming back to you and praising you and thanking you when you've answered so many of our requests in our lifetime. But we want to say thank you for all you've done for us today. And we pray, Lord, that we would walk as people of God, prayerful people, righteous people, wise people. And when you do wonderful things for us, may we be quick to give you the praise and the glory and really do it. In Jesus' name, amen.